this the fastest trash can in the world? Can we hear this tree talking? Generating electricity from humidity? Get the answers to these questions and more on this week's episode of Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story this week is Spider News. This is from Science Alert. Uh, And the headline is, The world's deadliest spider can tweak its venom depending on its mood. I don't like spiders. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's that's, cool, though. That's cool. That's why I picked this story. Tell me more. It's because you hate (laughs) spiders. Um, uh, No, so this is is about the funnel web spider. And also, the headline sets this up to be a way more exciting finding than it ends up being. So I just want to temper expectations oh Um, okay the results are not like so definitive i feel like uh but uh they said that the the potent cocktail of toxins in the venom of one of the world's deadliest spiders seems to vary depending on context uh this is a new analysis published in plus one one of our favorite plus one uh, about how funnel web spiders produce their venom that shows that factors like the spider's heart rate and defensiveness at the time could play a role in the proportions of chemicals that are delivered. Uh, they said that this spider's venom ha- is a complex mixture that has a wide range of potential applications, such as natural pesticides and pharmaceuticals. Uh, this all in addition to like the ven- anti-venom used to treat the spider's uh, bites. Um, but apparently, yeah, you can... Like, it has applications as a pesticide that you can just spray on things, I guess. I don't know. Uh, They didn't go into much detail on that. Um, But, yeah, understanding why they produce these mixtures and how could aid in more efficient venom milking, which is apparently what they call that, um, and uh, show us different ways that we could use this venom. So that's why they're doing so much research on this thing. Uh, apparently the the venom of the funnel web spider is deadly only to the insects that it preys upon and due to some weird quirk of evolution primates so it's only dangerous to insects and us (laughs) basically (laughs) us and monkeys uh so not great um (laughs) though uh they're technically the deadliest spiders in the world but only 30 to 40 people are bitten every year and only the male sydney funnel web spider has killed people uh, and there haven't been any deaths mm. related to the spider since the antivenom was developed in 1981. So, oh, that's good. It's super deadly, but it's very treatable, uh, and there hasn't been a death in a long, long time. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of work to study the complexity, like the molecular complexity of the venom, but they haven't really focused on the behavior, the physical state, and the environment of the spider. So they collected specimens of four different spe- species of Australian funnel web spiders and subjected them to various tests uh, to assess various behaviors like huddling or climbing in different contexts, like being preyed upon, spending time with another spider, or exploring a new area. So they were like, how do they react to being with another spider or being in an unfamiliar place. Um, And this is where the headline is kind of a letdown. They said three of the four species exhibited no association between behavior, heart rate, and the composition of their venom. But the fourth one, the border ranges funnel web spider did, 
suggesting that the differences might be species-specific. So, like, one of these spider types apparently had some correlation, which they really didn't go into any detail on, like, hmm. what the difference was. It was, like, a lot of buildup, yeah. and I learned a lot about funnel-web spiders, and then I got to the end, I was like, oh, so oh. One, one kind of spider might be a little different. It's <laughs> like, okay. Um, but I was at this point, waiting for more. <laughs> at this point, I was too invested in the story of the, sp- of the funnel webs, so I, I just kept going. Um, hmm. So study lead and biologist Linda Hernandez-Duran says, We showed for the first time how specific venom components are associated with particular behavioral and physiological variables and demonstrated that these relationships are context-dependent. We gained valuable insights for further exploration and understanding of the ecological role of venom. So, Hmm. yeah. A lot of words to say one of these spiders is a little different when it's mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like what... What I want to know more about the context. It didn't say, yeah, and it didn't say anything you know? about like the actual composition of the venom itself and like what varied specifically and like, huh? And since you don't have that that information, it's like, well, then what properties of the venom are actually different? Is it like more concentrated? Like, yeah, more potent. That's in some where my mind like, went. Like which, it gets more potent. Which like would in make sense situations. if like increased heart rate and defensiveness would be associated with more potent venom. Um, yeah, but. They didn't go into those details, unfortunately. So, so we have remains, to speculate. A little bit. It remains a mystery. <laughs> okay, my first story this week is world record news. This is from UPI. The headline is: Motorized trash can reaches fifty-five miles per hour in England. <laughs> Wait. This needs more context. (laughs) I love this story so much. So (laughs) a British engineer unofficially broke a world record recently when he took his motorized trash can up to speeds of 55 miles per hour. Michael Wallhead, 31, said he bought the wheeled trash can from Facebook Marketplace for about $25 and then proceeded to make nearly $900 worth of modifications, <laughs> including, including a Suzuki GP125 two-stroke engine. I don't really know what that means, but that's what that I was mean, applied to the trash can. Yeah. Is, is it not enough to know <laughs> that there's now an engine in a trash can? <laughs> Magnesium go-kart wheels, a rear axle, a five-gear box, a ch- ch- chassis... I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. I think it's a steering, chassis. Ch- it's a chassis. Okay, I was like, I don't know if I'm saying this right. I don't know things about cars. So Neither do I. To, to the I, just, listeners. I just recognize the pronunciation of that. Um, a steering damper and an extra wheel at the front. $900 of modifications. He took his so-called wheelie bin to um, Alvington Airfield in North Yorkshire, England, where he... Um, let it go, and then clocked it at an average speed of 44.9 miles per hour. <laughs> and Wait, so the current like, Guinness World... Sorry, he, just let it, he just let it go on its own? Yeah. He wasn't inside <laughs> like, the, the trash can? He wasn't in it. No, he wasn't, like, in it driving it. He just, he just made, like, made it so I think you could just, like, turn it on. I don't know if it's remote controlled or what, but you could turn it on, and he just, like, let it go, and then saw how fast it was going. Um, okay. The current Guinness World Record for fastest wheelie bin... 
um, is 45 miles per hour <laughs> set by someone named Andy Jennings in May of 2021. So the record uh, was broken, but apparently um, Michael Wallhead has submitted this to Guinness World Records, but hasn't heard back yet. He expects to hear back in a couple of weeks if he um, officially broke the record, if he's officially on file. But for now, we're just going to assume that he did break the record. 55 miles per hour, wheels yeah, trash can. I- I feel like there's a good chance nobody else has been actively in parallel trying to break this record with him. So I think his chances are pretty good. His chances are probably pretty good. Although you never know, people are people are working on these records all the time. It's lots of these okay. records, but apparently, but I think his chances are pretty good. Nine hundred dollars on a on a remote control trash can. That's pretty cool. He can't even drive it. He There's can, a steering yeah. wheel. That's the that's the that's the worst part. I think it's like if he's going to spend all that money, at least make it a make it a vehicle. Yeah, not make road it legal. <laughs> but then he could apply to have it be road legal with a license plate. <laughs> I don't know if that's something you can actually do, but yeah, I, I feel would like try. The visibility you know? inside of a trash can probably isn't good enough that they would <laughs> want you driving it around. <laughs> have your head out of the trash <laughs> or install I know, windows like, install, there's like a little window in it like the lid is down but there's just like this little or like eye holes or something like out the front and the periscope at the top and a periscope it just pops up and looks around <laughs> I think we solved it for him my next story is tree news This is from Live Science, and the headline is, Listen to the sounds of Pando, the largest living tree in the world. The largest it's, tree? It's the largest oh. living tree. Okay. This, I feel like we might have talked about Pando before, because it's like, tech, it looks like a bunch of trees, but it's all technically the same tree, just connected by roots underground. Oh. Um, it's just like that giant. That sounds a little familiar giant quaking aspen that's like in utah it sounds it sounded familiar to me i don't know if we talked about it or what but uh we've definitely talked about the oldest tree yeah i don't know about the largest tree but it does sound familiar it does sound familiar they they say that it's 13 million pounds um if you account for like all of them it's actually it looks like a forest but it's actually forty thousand genetically identical trunks that are interconnected by a complex root system. This does sound familiar. I think we did talk about this. Yeah, it sounded it sounded so familiar. At some to me, point, so I'm guessing we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it stretches across 106 acres in southern Utah, and researchers have recorded the sounds of it uh, for the first time. Uh, and this isn't like the sounds above ground. What they actually did is they dropped a microphone into a hole in the tree. And then we're able to, like, pick up on, like, the sounds that it was, like, for lack of a better term, hearing, like, over the course of its entire root system. Because, like, sound kind of travels through it. Um, Whoa. So, they, yeah, it's Jeff Rice was the guy who initiated this. He's a Seattle-based audio engineer, and he teamed up with Lance Odit, who is the founder and executive director of Friends of Pando which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to education and research about Pando. 
Um, and they, yeah, like I said, they dropped the, this microphone into what they called the Pando portal, which is a huge hole in one of the tree trunks. Um, and I'm not even going to bother like playing the sound because the recording that they provided just sounds like, like just a low, like constant hums kind of sound. I don't even know if that, I couldn't even really hear that but yeah i mean it's just like a a low kind of like groan almost it's okay like it's it's nothing that exciting but like one of the cool things is that um they like knocked on a branch of the tree roughly a hundred feet away from where they dropped the microphone and they could like hear that sound from that location because it like reverberated through the root system all that's so cool so like that's kind of like it's like just further evidence that it's all interconnected, which is really wow. neat. Um, and yeah, uh, they are hoping that th- that getting a clear image of what's happening beneath the surface could help scientists gain a better better understanding of this tree. Um, and also, this is like kind of a side project that this article just mentioned. But for the past several summers, um, Odit and a team of volunteers have been meticulously photographing nearly every square inch of the Aspen clone using a 360 degree camera. Um, hmm. They call it the Pando Photographic Survey, uh, and it enables anyone with an internet connection to virtually explore it. And I was looking around; it's on it's on a website that's linked to from the article, which we'll include in the show notes. But uh, you can oh. uh, like. Just look. It's like Google Maps, basically, for this tree. <laughs> um, like you can like click, you can like go forward and mm-hmm. stuff, and like walk and then look around, around it and stuff at different points and stuff. So that's it's very cool. cool. If you want to explore Pando, that okay. That's that's such an. I'm thinking just about the photography project part of it. Like, what a great thing to do, especially for like, I don't know. It's like things like this. Like you never know when like some like a natural disaster could happen and, and do something to the tree or like something yeah. would happen. And it's like, you wish you had more documentation of it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It seems like they've got a whole organization <laughs> around preserving and protecting this tree. So it's pretty cool. That's cool. I wonder if you were like speaking into a hole in the tree, if that would be able to be picked up by the microphone a hundred feet yeah. away. But the article didn't say anything about that, huh? It they just did not. No, <laughs> knocked on the trunk. They didn't try. They didn't try talking to it. Yeah, like that, they didn't, that, tr- they didn't that, try using it as a giant walkie-talkie. As a giant, what? What's the? the if you ever play that game when you were a kid with like a little paper cup and strings, and you could like talk through it? Oh and yeah, you could yeah. Hear it on the other side. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess we have to go to Pando and find out. We have to go things. find out. We have to find out. Okay, my next story is energy news. This is also from Science Alert. The headline is, Scientists find a way to harvest clean energy from nothing but air. Specifically humid air. Huh. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounded sarcastic, but I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> That's so impressive. Have you heard of wind power? <laughs> So, according to new research published in Advanced Materials, engineers have demonstrated that almost any material can be used to create a device that continuously harvests energy from humid air. 
All the material needs is to be pocked with nanopores less than 100 nanometers in diameter. So like really, 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 really small uniform holes in the material. Okay. This article said that it's about a thousandth of the width of a human hair is the size of the holes that are needed. Um, very tiny. Cool. So if you have a material like that, it can harvest electricity generated by microscopic water droplets in humid air. The research team have called their discovery the generic airgen effect, which is okay. a lot of saying gen over and over again. I mean, it's just twice, I guess. But, the gen-gen, um, gen-gen, gen-gen, this is the, the, the Jennifer. Gen, the gen-gen, air-gen, Jennifer, gen-gen effect. A, this is a quote from one of the people involved in this project. The air contains an enormous amount of electricity. Um, they said, think of a cloud, which is nothing more than a mass of water droplets. Each of those droplets contains a charge, and when the conditions are right, the cloud can produce a lightning bolt. But we don't know how to reliably capture electricity from lightning, but what we've done here is create a human-built small-scale cloud that produces electricity for us predictably and continuously so that we can harvest it. So basically, water molecules in the air like can enter the nanopores, and then they go from the top of the film to the bottom of the film and like as that happens it transfers charge into the material and it like builds up charge okay and then because somehow like the way that they they made this like film like there a charge imbalance occurs where there's like more at one part of the film versus the other side and then that like difference could is like what kind of creates that like electric tension or whatever that can then be like kind of taken out of it and like put into like a battery. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I explained that very clearly, but like that, that's all that the article said basically. So I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, so at the moment, like the, the material that this team was testing only output like about 260 millivolts, which is like a really, 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 really small amount of electricity. (laughs) Um, they said a, a mobile phone requires a voltage output of a, about five volts. So this was oh, millivolts. So it's to still go. like a really small scale. But I mean, like that concept though could be scaled up is like what they're saying. Basically, like we've right. seen, we've we've demonstrated that this works on this small scale. But if you like stacked these materials somehow, or like you know you do something and build it up and scale it up, and then you actually could just like get electricity out of hum- humid air which would be cool. Yeah, um, just set it up in a rainforest so, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they also said, like, the, the concept doesn't necessarily rely on, like, the type of material you used. It's, you, it's more like if it could be set up in this way with, like, the holes and, like, set, like how it's set up. Mm-hmm. So, you, like, different materials could be used depending on, like, where the device is. Like, if you need, I don't know, if it needs to be, like, weather-resistant or something. Like, you could probably do that, I guess. I don't know. Um yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I love hearing about new, like, clean energy tech, you know? Yeah. It does seem like you could just set up, like, a bunch of these or, like, a big panel of it or something. And it, if you can make it from anything, you can make it from something cheap. So, theoretically, you could yeah, exactly. make a big, cheap energy source. But A big, a big, che- like a big <laughs> cheap energy source. Yeah, and just set it up somewhere that's naturally really humid. And there you go. Done. We solved it. Done. Yay. We solved the energy crisis. Yay. Yay. 
Let's go celebrate now by driving to a store and using up more power than this thing can generate. <laughs> I'll just oh, find I'll some just champagne. Turn on um, my phone and use more power than this thing yes. can generate. <laughs> Call your friends. Use more power than this thing can generate. We're celebrating. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. Sorry ours was released a little, little later than usual today, uh, but that's okay. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. If you want to share a story with us about solving the energy crisis or anything else, you can send us an email at knickknacknews at gmail.com. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.